This is the Nothing But Bucks podcast. Now, here's your host, TJ Reeves. Mm, a tough one on Creamsicle Sunday 2023 as the Detroit Lions, the old foes from the NFC Central, come in and ruin what was a festive orange atmosphere at Raymond James Stadium on Sunday with an impressive win for them. 20-6, to they go on the road again after having beaten Kansas City, having beaten the Green Bay Packers on the road at Lambeau. They come in and they win in Tampa. Uh, and continue some resurgence from last year into this year with a win over our Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Welcome in. It is the latest edition of the Nothing But Bucks podcast. I am the somewhat competent host. I was I was trying trying with all the mojo I had, all the old school orange that I had yesterday just did not work out, and a lot of that had to do with the Detroit Lions and the way that they played on Sunday. Both sides of the ball. Very impressive for Dan Campbell's team. Nobody's laughing anymore right now at the Lions with the way that they are playing as they get the win and drop the Buccaneers to three and two on the season. So it's good to have you with us. If you have just found us for the first time, whether it be a social media link, whether it be through the Buccaneers mobile app, Buccaneers.com, and you found the program, we are here after each and every Buccaneer game, full recap podcast with highlights, post-game conversations that you'll hear from our Hooters post-game show that I have with the players. I give you insight and analysis uh, from everything that we're doing on Buccaneers Radio. So again, find us typically on Monday, obviously, after Sunday games. Now, there'll be one more variable in that for now, and that is the Friday after the Thursday night game with the Buffalo Bills. That'll be here before you know it, by the way. Buccaneers playing the Buffalo Bills as we release this podcast 10 days from now. So on that day after the game, Friday, there'll be a nothing but Bucks in the recap mode, again, with the highlights, the interviews, et cetera. From time to time, we'll have other guests as well here to give insight and analysis, et cetera. It's what you come to expect uh, here from Buccaneers.com, the Buccaneers mobile app, our partners at 98 Rock uh, in Tampa Bay and the Buccaneers radio network. So thank you for hanging out here. And uh, I'm going to tell you up front, there are not a lot of Buccaneer highlights that we have from Buccaneers radio. That's not to say that there weren't some good moments. There were some good moments, not not really great moments, with the exception of Levante David going back and watching this game. Levante was everywhere. Levante hit everything that moved. I'm surprised Levante wasn't trying to go back in a time machine and tackle Barry Sanders because he was hitting every other Detroit Lions. Maybe going back to Dick Night Train Lane and trying to tackle him in the Lions' history as well. Uh, 54 came to play. He did, he did not look like a 12-year veteran. He looked like a guy uh, playing in his early 20s out there all over the field. Fountain of youth. So you'll hear a Levante highlight uh, here coming up in a little bit. But uh, other than that, there was not a lot of not a lot of great. Some good, a lot of it poor. Let's be honest, drop balls, miss throws, miss tackles, uh, just uh, unable to get off the field on third down, letting the Lions beat you up in the second half, not unlike, unlike what the Philadelphia Eagles did on the Monday night game. So that's disappointing. But we will have some highlights, and again, you'll hear in a little bit uh, from Baker Mayfield after this game is over with. You'll hear from Levante David. You'll hear from Todd Bowles, uh, the head coach of the Bucks, about trying to regroup coming off the bye week. So we'll do all that. We'll get into the highlights, or in this case, the the not-so-many highlights uh, here in a little bit. Uh, let me give you a, a couple of things. First of all, let's set the scene. I, I'm sure for those that were watching on TV, for those that are, are listening on Buccaneers Radio or are now hearing the podcast, uh, the aesthetics, how it looked. It's, it's neat. It's nostalgic. I moved to this area 40 years ago this fall, 40 years ago in 1983, and the, and the Bucs were now – 
unfortunately, in the throes of an awful season. This was the year they had gotten rid of or allowed Doug Williams to walk away to the United States Football League. And so uh, the, the everybody was convinced that year when the Buccaneers won the four preseason games, you don't need Doug Williams. Who needs Doug Williams? Even though Doug brought you all kinds of success, led you to the NFC Championship game with the offense, got you in the playoffs for a couple of years, didn't need to pay him. He, he should go somewhere else. Well, that four preseason victories, 4-0 start, got you an 0-9 start in 1983 with the throw-in Samoan Jack Thompson with uh, James Wilder, the Iron Man in the backfield, with, with Hugh Green in the Buccaneer defense. The John McKay Bucks were no good in, in 1983, to say the least. Uh, so they end up having a 2-14 and 14 year, but that's the first year that I got here. And the first time that I had been to NFL football games was going to Buccaneer games that year and subsequent years as a teenage fan and having the orange on uh, for the Bucs. And it was just, um, it was a woeful time because the next year, the team was a little better. John McKay's final year, but Leroy Selman was hurt um, and ended up having to retire because of his back injury. Doug Williams still gone. You're still, you're still playing um, Jack Thompson at that point. Uh, you're also playing, I believe, Steve DeBerg at that point, too, because he had come from San Francisco, and uh, the Bucks were just bad. Uh, you, you still had Jimmy Giles, uh, who could make some plays. He's in the Buccaneer Ring of Honor and was in the Pro Bowl a couple of times, but you didn't have much else on either side of the ball, and they were they were bad under John McKay in his final year. Our, uh, our former colleague on the radio, Scott Brantley, was part of those teams. In the 80s, Brantley very famously lit up Eric Hipple in the 1985 game when we start talking about nostalgia and with the Detroit Lions. But those teams in the in the mid-80s were wearing the orange Lehman Bennett, 2-14, and 2-14. and 14. Of course, Steve Young running around. I, I keep saying this to people all the time. If you watch Steve Young in Tampa Bay in the 1985 season, the 1986 season with no talent around him, you would have never thought with all the turnovers, uh, fumbles, interceptions, Steve Young would have a stat line where he's like 6 of 21 for 73 yards and two interceptions. That's what Steve Young looked like when the Bucks were in the creamsicle orange. So it has a negative connotation, certainly from 1983 all the way through 1996 when the Blazers had bought the team and for two seasons with Sam Weich's final year in 95 and Tony Dungy's first year in 96, you didn't win and they, they had decided to put into the NFL, we're changing the colors. We're changing the colors. We're changing the logo to what you have seen since 1997, which is pewter and red with the pewter helmet and the flag. No longer the Bucko Bruce iconic orange pirate with the blade in his mouth. You're now going with the flag, with the skull and the crossbones. And that's that's been the case since the late 1990s. Of course, you had an immediate resurgence. But my point is, it was great to have nostalgia. It was it was great to see the orange flags, the white Buccaneer helmet with the Bucko Bruce at midfield, Tampa Bay in the end zones, just like it used to be in the 70s and in the 80s. There was never any Bucko Bruce in the end zone for the most part till much later, like in the 90s. So it was definitely an old school feel. The, the Tampa Bay Buccaneer cheerleaders dressed like the cheerleaders in the late 70s. I had on Dave Moore, our longtime radio analyst, and a former 13-year veteran with the Buccaneers. He's played, uh, he and Derek Brooks, I think, are 1-2 on the most games played ever for a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. So I was going to honor Dave yesterday on the throwback, and I wore one of his game-worn jerseys, and that picture's out on social media as well, uh, wearing the 83 that he wore back, uh, what did he play, six seasons in the Orange, 1992 through uh, 96. What would that be, five seasons, right? Part of the 92 season, 93, 94, 95, 96, 
before the uniform change. So I was rocking the 83 for him. Uh, fans clad everywhere in orange. Yes, there were a lot of Detroit Lion fans. Folks, this is nothing new. When I moved here in the mid-80s, I immediately as a kid had to begin to understand why are there so many Chicago Bear fans at Tampa Stadium going to a Bears game, going to a Green Bay Packer game, even, even when the Lions or the Vikings would come here and you began to figure out, well, especially when the game was in November or in December, they're trying to get out of the cold and the snow to come down here to Tampa Bay to play the Buccaneers in the NFC Central every year. But you would regularly go to old Tampa Stadium and have 30,000 fans from the other team. It was a regular occurrence because the Buccaneers were bad, the tickets were fairly cheap, and all of the fans from the upper Midwest trying to get out of the cold and, and coming to support their team would come down here. Plus, there's a lot of transplants down here. There are a lot of people that moved here from the upper Midwest. There are a lot of people visiting down here, snowbirds that are down here for only six months out of the year from, say, November to April that come down here and live. And so they're going to the game. And that was a lot of it yesterday. A lot of those Lions fans they, that were in the stadium, yesterday, they were not uh, if, if people that traveled here, not all of them, from Detroit or from Michigan. A lot of them live here in and around the area, live in West Central Florida, Central Florida, or live regionally where they can get to the game. And so they were making a lot of noise, but it was a tremendous atmosphere. They had the uh, the old uh, 1970s and 80s music. They were playing the old NFL Today music. Dun 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 dun. dun, dun, dun. I kind of I kind of waited for Brent Musburger and the old line. You are looking live. Uh, I, I just wanted some of that uh, on Sunday, but in the end, uh, the Lions spoiled all of this. Uh, Jared Goff, a 300 yard pass day. Their defense holding the Buccaneers to six points. Physical play. Just uh, not good enough. Not good enough on uh, on this one. The one thing I will say, though, here at the outset uh, of the pod and the recap is it is just a game. And uh, right now you're three and two. And yes, the argument can be made. The two best teams you played on your schedule, the Eagles and the Lions, handled you. Yes, fair enough. They did. Guess what? They've been handling almost everybody else. I know the Eagles blew their first game, their first loss of the season to the to the Jets, but they're five and one. That Lions team is now, what, 5-1, and one, right, with this victory on Sunday. They're good. They're going to beat a lot of people. And the Bucs didn't rise to the level against Philadelphia or against the Lions. I will say this. There were more plays that could have been made in the Lions game that potentially have you in the lead in the second half. I never got the sense in the Philadelphia game, especially in the third quarter, the Eagles were just physically dominating the Bucs on both sides of the ball, including running the ball. Lions weren't able to do that. I know David Montgomery got hurt in the game in the first half, their best rusher. But the, the Lions didn't run the ball yet. I mean, not on Sunday. From their running backs, 20 carries, 37 yards in a game. 20 carries, 37 yards. That's not being able to run the ball. That includes Montgomery before he got hurt. Six carries, 14 yards. Uh, Reynolds, the backup running back, 10 carries, 15 yards. They did not run it. The Eagles ran it. And that's because Jalen Hurts, in part, is much more of a dual threat running the ball than Jared Goff is. Goff just stood back in the pocket and picked you apart. He had time to throw. So you'll hear that in the highlights uh, as well. A couple of, couple of big pass plays that the, that the Lions made. Buccaneers don't make a huge pass play early on in the third quarter that could have flipped the whole momentum. We'll get into that. Uh, frustrating day. Frustrating day, but it is just a game. Because you're 3-2. and two, You've got Atlanta coming at home which we'll talk about later in the podcast. And if you win that game, you're off to a four and two start. You are very much, very much in the hunt for the South title, a playoff spot, 
As long as you lurk around seven or eight wins in late December and early January, you got a great chance to win this division. Everybody else in the NFC South lost yesterday. You're still uh, in, in good shape in this division if you just win the division games because you've got two games with Atlanta, a home one coming up. you still got a home game with New Orleans and two games with an awful Carolina team. There is no reason to be down and out on this season. And, and I think only chuckleheads, knuckleheads, and, and anti-Buck fans are being down on the season because of this loss. Long way to go. 12 more of these to go, and we'll be, re- be here recapping all of them uh, as we go along on Nothing But Bucks. Okay, with that said, let's get into it for the Sunday creamsicle edition of Buccaneers and the Detroit Lions for October 15, 2023. The first time in 11 years that the Buccaneers had put on the orange uniforms. Now, part of that, as we explained, is the NFL's concussion study that they were doing in the 2010s required teams and players to have the same helmet for 10 years in a row. 10 consecutive seasons, they wanted the same helmet. Well, obviously, the Buccaneer pewter helmet with the flag does not translate to the Bucko Bruce Creamsicle Orange. It just does not. So uh, the the white helmet was not allowed to be used until last season. That's the first time you could go back to Bucko Bruce, the orange pirate with the pirate flume hat and the the blade of the mouth was last year. They, They chose not to do it for whatever reasons. So this is the second year that you could go back to the orange uniforms and the white helmet, the color scheme of the 70s, 80s, and early to mid 90s. And so that was the that's the setting. That's the setting as we get into the highlights uh, in this one. All right. So uh, the Buccaneers end up after losing the toss. The Lions win the toss, whatever you prefer. They called the coin. Uh, Buccaneers come right out of the gate and are able to get a first down early on in the game, but not able to do much much less uh, much else after that. Uh, a couple of incompletions by uh, Baker Mayfield, and it forces a Jake Camarda punt. So he punts. He pins in uh, the Lions pretty well down at the 10-yard line, but then Detroit gets a first down. They find the big tight end Laporta for a completion. But then the Buccaneer defense gets a stop, so it's an exchange of punts. And that would set into motion here the highlights or the lowlights. And here is the negative play with the Buccaneers backed up on first and 10 at their own 8-yard line. As we get things underway uh, here with, oh, what might have been. And here you go with the way that Gene and Dave call Play action fake, looks downfield, throws a ball, batting down to the line. It's intercepted at the 12-yard line, deflected at the line, and then picked off. Big defensive lineman Bugs got his hand on the ball. Harris uh, is able to get the interception. And you talk about what might have been on that play. Mike Evans is streaking down the seam. Baker Mayfield kind of did a pump that caused the safety to just stand there for a second. And when he did, Mike Evans blows right by him. And if Baker Mayfield has any kind of lane to throw the ball, you can't say for 100% certain, but in all likelihood, it's a 90-yard touchdown. Unless Evans pulls up with the hamstring, ifs and buts, he's completely behind the defense, folks. When you watch the All-22, you see the bust in the coverage. You see the safety stand there on the pump by Mayfield, the quick pump. You see Evans running on the seam, run right by him. He's three, four steps by him. Mayfield sees it and then bugs the defensive lineman, sticks the paw up in the air and bats the ball in the air. Deflected interception. So potential disaster. Potential 14-point swing. It's not an exaggeration to say Mike Evans is going to be at at least the Lions 30, if not the 20, before anybody has a chance to tackle. And realistically, he's in the end zone. 
It's a 90-yard touchdown on that play. So it's a low light there. But the Buccaneers bow their back. They hold the Lions to a field goal from Riley Patterson uh, to make the game 3 other former Memphis kicker, by the way. As a Memphis State guy. There's a lot of Memphis kickers that have been floating around in the league uh, over the years. Steven Goskowski, uh, Super Bowl champion with the Patriots. Uh, what is it, Jake Elliott? We saw him kicking uh, on Monday Night Football for the Eagles, another Memphis kicker. So in any event, uh, the, the uh, Lions, in this case, take the lead on the 30-yard field goal. Nice job by the Buccaneer defense to play Ben, but don't break there. Don't give up seven points. And then the Buccaneers try to finally get something going uh, here if they are able to, and they do. They get a couple of plays going. We don't have a highlight for you of it uh, specifically, but you're able to finally make a drive, make something happen uh, here in this instance. Um, you get the ball to Trey Palmer for 21 yards on a third and long. You Then uh, you find Rashad White for seven yards. You get a defensive holding penalty on the Lions. You move into scoring position. Keyshawn Vaughn runs for seven. Uh, you're trying to work into scoring position, but then unfortunately you throw incomplete looking for Devin Tompkins on the third and three. It was a bit surprising. That was that appeared to be a called play for Tompkins throwing left. And you've got Chris Godwin, you've got Mike Evans, you've got Kate Otten. You're not able to try to work them free and get anything to happen. So that leads to the first points being on the board right here for the Buccaneers. 33-yard field goal attempt coming from Chase McLaughlin, first-year Buccaneer. On the near side, Hash punting left to right. Good spot. The kick is airborne. We are tied at 3-3. Three three. Fire the cannons three times. 3-3. Three, three. Bucks and Lions halfway through the second. Chase McLaughlin hammers through the 33-yard field goal. You would love to have had seven in a 7-3 lead. Instead, you only get three. And the game is 3-3 three, three at this point as we continue along with the highlights here from 98 Rock and Buccaneers Radio. And uh, this is where the Lions began to make things happen uh, on this next drive. They would march 75 yards on the next drive in the 3-3 three, three game. Uh, Montgomery gets the short pass for 19 yards and then is injured on the play on the tackle by Shaq Barrett. Looked like he fell on the ball with Barrett falling on him. They said a rib injury, that the x-rays were negative, but he did not return in the game. So from then on, it's uh, it's Craig Reynolds that took over as the, the running back. Uh, and then Reynolds is able to get a catch out of the backfield shortly thereafter for 21 yards. They move into scoring range. And this play's making the rounds right now on TV, the NFL Network, ESPN, the Internet, uh, and elsewhere. Here's the Lions getting their first touchdown of the game, second quarter. Lions need to reach the Buccaneer 14-yard line. Shotgun look, Reynolds on the right hip of Goff. Two receivers right, two to the left. Here's the snap. Pressure coming past, and he caught ball by St. John. Gets outside with a blocker. He's got the first down sideline outside the numbers, and he is... In for a touchdown. Did he step out of bounds? I don't think so. Amon Ross St. Brown. Amon Ross St. Brown able to catch and run, and what a great block by Reynolds downfield on Carlton Davis. I, I said this on Buccaneers Radio there as Gene was calling it. Uh, it's kind of a weird play because uh, St. Brown catches the ball across the middle. But let's be blunt. That can't happen, Buccaneer fans. You cannot let a guy catch the ball in the middle of the field from the hash marks, run all the way laterally to the far right sideline, and then turn the corner and turn up field for another 15 or 20 yards, and no orange jerseys go tackle him or get him out of bounds. Um, again, 
Uh, give them credit for making the play. Give Reynolds the credit for the block. The block's on one guy. The other three or four guys that are in the area, I'm naming names. Levante David's in that area, along with Carlton Davis. So is Antoine Winfield. So is Devin White. So is Ryan Neal over on that side of the field by that point. I mean, St. Brown had to run for at least two seconds laterally to get to the sideline. Go take an angle and make the tackle. Somebody. So great play by the Lions. Unselfish play by Reynolds to, to pop Carlton Davis, and he kind of knocked him in the way of Antoine Winfield. But where is anybody else to get him out of bounds at the 10-yard line? Because you don't know what's going to happen after that. Uh, they could they could turn the ball over if he doesn't get in the end zone. Instead, it's a touchdown for 27 yards, and the Lions up the lead at that point, uh, 10-3. And then here was a critical, uh, you know, make a play, don't make a play. Lions make a play on that catch and run. We don't have the highlight here, but the Bucks don't make a play right after that. So after... Uh, the kickoff, uh, Baker Mayfield hits Kate Otten for 15 yards up to the 38-yard line. The two-minute warning happens. So now the first play after the two-minute warning from your own 38 is a bomb down the middle to Trey Palmer. And I am here to testify on nothing but bucks. It's open. He is four or five steps behind everybody. If the ball has air under it, uh, he's going to 99.9% catch it and be in the end zone. At the minimum, even if it's underthrown a little bit, he's going to stop and catch it and be inside the 15-yard line of the Detroit line. He's that far behind everybody, and Mayfield just missed him. Didn't put enough air under it, gunned it, and he admitted as such after the game. You'll hear his comment to us on Buccaneers Radio and the Hooters postgame show in a little bit. Again, this was not everything, but you start stacking up. Lions make a play. Buccaneers don't make the play. That was huge. I know it's only second and 10, and you still have a chance with timeouts to make something happen, but then you don't make anything happen. You you get the ball to Rashad White on a handoff. The clock's running. You then try to throw again on a rollout to Trey Palmer. He's being pressured. Baker Mayfield, he throws incomplete, and you give the ball right back to the Lions. So nothing happens on that drive down 10-3, and now you're worried because the Lions are getting the ball to start the second half, but they still have the ball with a minute to go and timeouts in the first half. But the Buccaneer defense helped slam the door here. I told you Levante David was everywhere. Here's another example. Shotgun look, Jared Goff, fell high snap. Here comes the pressure. He's sacked in the backfield of the 31-yard line. Levante David shoots like a rocket and got him belt high and dropped it. Play after play that Levante made on this day. 12 tackle day, tackles for loss, quarterback sack, pass defended later in the game. Again, be proud of what that guy was able to do. So you go into the locker room, down 10-3. You know the Lions are getting the ball to come out to start the second half. I did talk to Todd Bowles going into the locker room. I said, hey, what have you, what have you got to get going on August? He said, we can't convert third down right now, which he's right. He missed on third down conversion after third down conversion. Couldn't sustain a drive. Uh, we didn't really get into the penalty on Mike Evans, but that, that really hurt because it turned a third and one into a third and long to back you up. You were trying to draw the flag uh, there in the first half. But, yes, in the first half, the uh, the Buccaneers were 0 for 5. I mean, the Lions were only 1 for 7 on third down in the first half. But the Bucs were 0 for 5. So that's one of the things Todd Bowles was talking about. And I said, defensively, what's got to continue? He said, we've got to tackle better. we also got to get off the field on third down. Boy, would that be prophetic as the second half uh, began with the Detroit Lions making plays and especially on third down. Now, they had the ball first. They get a drive going. They're able to find... Reynolds again out of the backfield on kind of a screen pass. The Bucs don't get him on the ground. Not a good job tackling. He gets 28 yards to kind of get the ball out of their own territory, move it into uh, Buccaneer scoring range. 
Uh, they pick up another first down to the backup running back, Azigo, uh, and Azigo uh, gets tackled uh, after picking up the first down. But then Levante David stuffs Craig Reynolds on a second down play, and golf throws incomplete to the tight end. And so now you're sensing maybe some momentum. Long field goal attempt here for the Lions at this juncture, trying to go up 13-3. The snap is a low one. The kick is long enough, long enough, long enough. You hear the crowd roar. It is no good. The crowd in orange behind the goalpost to our right were cheering from the get-go. They knew it was no good before we did. And the Buccaneer defense hangs on. How big was that throw for loss tackle by Levante David a moment ago? 10-3, the score remains. 10-33 left of the third quarter. My Memphis kicker with the miss there. Thank you very much. Wide right, 52 yards out. And now you have momentum because you're taking over at the 42-yard line, your own 42, and the game at this stage is only a 10-3 game. You are right in the game with the ball, plenty of time, and this drive gets off to a good start. Uh, right away, right here, this is one of the, the better offensive highlights we have to give you on Nothing But Bucks, as Baker Mayfield looked for one of his top targets on Sunday. Shotgun snap, passed across the middle, caught ball by Godwin, inside the 40, made a guy miss, and he's down to the 35. Boy, what a great way to begin the first series here in the third quarter, huh? Yeah, a dart. 23 yards on the first play out of the timeout to get you into Lion territory, and you're fine here at this point at 10-3. to Great gain, and you can't say enough about Chris Godwin. He is so tough, physical over the middle, making catches. Uh, go make a key third down catch. Sideline wizard on getting the feet down, hands, uh, tremendous hands and the feet in coordination. Tremendous blocker as well. Godwin is a complete player uh, for this team. You you love having guys like that. You rally around guys like that. So you got off to the good start on that. Uh, again, you're able to move into scoring range with Mike Evans catching an 18-yard pass. You're down to the 17. Rashad White then runs it for four yards. You try the little misdirection screen pass where you start you, you have Tompkins start one way in motion to the left he turns around immediately in motion to the right and you throw him a quick screen trying to get him a, a head start on getting around the end but he doesn't pick up the first down and then we don't have the highlight I mentioned it I think a second ago of this Mike Evans play uh, and we're going to talk a little bit about the officiating here at this juncture as well where Evans is called for the push off I understand uh, that you can call him for trying to create separation but there's two or three things the first thing is this is one of the top receivers in the NFL those receivers get calls, especially at home, all the time. Or in this case, a no call. Pick the flag up, and more on that in a second. The Detroit defender, second point, is in the way without looking at the ball. So maybe Mike needs to do a better job of just running into him while trying to make the play to make it obvious he's not playing the ball. He's not turning around and looking. I know that's how these guys a lot of times are instructed. We'll get into that with Ryan Neal and the touchdown by the Lions in a few minutes. They're instructed, play the man, don't play the ball. But if you're not playing the ball, if you're not looking back for the ball and the offensive player goes for the ball smacking into you, that's going to be an obvious call for the ref. So maybe Mike's got to sell it a little better on that. I thought on that play, they should have just said no call. Pick the flag up. Because Mike didn't really interfere with a Lion uh, player's uh, attempt to try to intercept the ball. He's not looking for the ball. He's got his back to the play on that play. Uh, in the end zone as they're trying to find uh, Evans uh, deep right there. So now you back up uh, 15 yards on that play, actually 10 yards from the from the original down spot of the 8-yard line. 
So you back it up to the 18. You try again to get the ball to Mike Evans. And, and again, there's a flag down. I thought that Trey Palmer was potentially being interfered with. The, the back judge that's back down by the pylon, he throws the flag. And this is where I got to call out uh, the officiating crew here. Too many conferences, and we're seeing this all over the National Football League, but Clay Martin's crew was guilty of this over and over and over again of let's stand, let's talk about it. If you're the back judge throwing your flag on this play for Trey Palmer, uh, you then run up the field and you're talking to a guy that's the side judge at the line of scrimmage all the way back up at the 18-yard line. He's 20 yards away from the play that's happening. He doesn't have a better vantage point than you do. So what are you talking about? You're looking completely indecisive. The conference that lasts 15 seconds, 20 seconds, 25 seconds, you don't know what to call. And I think it's further compounded, and the, and the NFL has mentioned this, but they're not belaboring it. They are talking to the referee in his headset from the command center. You have the game partially being officiated by the New York Command Center. And that's something that'll make these guys question themselves and indecisive out on the field because you've got a command center playing big brother, overruling them and telling them what to do, telling them to pick a flag up or not. No longer is it just the game officials down on the field or the replay official upstairs in the stadium. You've got the New York Command Center telling them the ball's in the wrong spot, or I believe there's even some pick that flag up. It's not interference. It's supposed to be a judgment call for the refs on the field. But how do we know if they're already talking to them about that? He didn't catch the ball. It's out of bounds. No need for a challenge. We, we see it clearly. He didn't catch the ball. It makes these guys gunshot. And you're seeing long meeting after long meeting. We saw, we saw this with Sean Hockley's crew in the Superdome two weeks ago before the bye. I mean, I've, I've watched several games last Sunday on the bye week. Last Monday night, the Raider-Packer game had one long conference after another. You're seeing it all over the NFL. You look completely silly, indecisive. Throw the flag, and they picked up two or three more flags in this game where, where again, you've got an official who throws the flag, and let's have a conference for 10 or 15 seconds and discuss, did I, did I see it or not? Either you saw it or not. Call it. Call it, and if you did call it, stand by it. All right, I'm off my soapbox. I'm the son of a former longtime uh, high school and small college basketball and football official. So it's coming out a little bit on nothing but bucks here. Because one thing that he has always preached is two things, actually. Be consistent with how you're calling the game. If it's physical and you're letting it go, let it go for both teams. Be consistent. If you're calling touchy stuff, touchy fouls in basketball, if you're calling, if you're calling it close in football for holding or pass interference, call it, call it on both teams. Call it on both teams. But most importantly, be decisive with what you're calling. If you're calling something, be sure of yourself. You may have even gotten it wrong, but be sure of itself and project, I know what I'm doing here. Standing and conferencing for 20 and 25 seconds, and that's not an exaggeration, is not projecting we know what we're doing. That's projecting we don't know what to do. We don't know how to officiate. We don't know what to call. And I don't care if I had the director of the NFL officials sitting right here with me, I would put him under oath and say, indecisive officiating means what? Indecisive standing there, it means that your guys are either gun shy or they're not competent. If you're indecisive about what to do, they're gun shy about what to call or they're not competent to be out there working and calling it. Now, I don't think it's an incompetence thing. Sometimes, it may, but I think it's indecisive as much as anything. We can't make up our mind. We're gun shy. 
Anyway, I'm spending a lot of time on this because it was a big deal. The Buccaneers end up kicking a field goal here, and the game is a 10-6 game. So as we resume in the actual game highlights, again, there were not a lot of highlights, but uh, in this instance now, the Buccaneers have trimmed the lead to 10-6 on the McLaughlin field goal. And this is a key juncture. And you're going to hear this talked about in the interviews in a few moments. This particular drive, one third down after another for the Lions, uh, where they're able to convert third and long after third and long. Third and four, golf finds St. Brown for 11 yards. You don't get off the field. Third and one, uh, Reynolds runs up the middle, gets the two yards, but then they get called for holding. Now it's third and 11. You let them get third and 11 with a pass right over the middle to Khalif Raymond for 12 yards. That can't happen. I said that I said that on the touchdown to St. Brown. You cannot let them right in the middle of your defense while you're playing zone, dropping seven guys or maybe even eight guys. You can't let them throw right through the middle on third and 11 repeatedly. And they did it there. And then later on, on third and 10, you got a third and 10 at midfield. Get off the field. Get the stop. They're going to have to punt. They're not kicking a 63-yard field goal, even with the breeze coming out of the north. Force them to punt in a 10-6 game. Instead, here's the play that happened. Quick snap, Bill High, shotgun look, send the blitz, and the pass goes deep down toward the end zone in the area. It is a caught ball, touchdown Lions! Jamison Williams with just his second catch of the day, and he falls into the end zone. 45-yard touchdown pass to Jamison Williams, the former number one pick out of Alabama. He had a torn-up knee. Um, at Alabama, but still got picked in the first round. His comeback now fully healthy, but he also had come off of NFL suspension for the first part of this season uh, for wagering on games illegally, um, including NFL games. So he, he faced a league suspension. There were several Lion players disciplined for this, several players all over the NFL. So Williams came off the suspension, made that catch that you heard Gene call in our highlights here from Buccaneers Radio. Detroit Lion highlight, as it turns out. And I'm going to say this. Ryan Neal uh, comes over as a heralded free agent safety. And, and I know Ryan's done some good things early on in the year. He had a concussion at the beginning of the Saints game on, like, the second play of the game. Didn't play the whole game in the Superdome. Was back. Was fully healthy out there. I, I know Todd Bowles is going to make mention. He made mention after the game. You'll hear it in our interview that, you know, we had some coverages that were missed, that, that are busted, that are wrong. Okay, so maybe somebody else is supposed to run with Jamison Williams, but Ryan Neal's back at deep safety in the middle of the field, and he sees the ball coming over there. He runs to the defender, or runs through as the defender to the receiver. I'm standing right there watching this. It was not a good ball from Jared Goff. In fact, it's thrown to the wrong shoulder. Jamison Williams stops and is looking over his shoulder, and it's the wrong shoulder. He's got to turn. It's a bad pass. It's an underthrown pass. And I'm just, I'm honing in on Ryan Neal at minimum's got to knock that ball down. He had plenty of time to get over there and make a play on the ball, which he chose not to do. He chose to make a play at Jamison Williams as the ball's coming down and he doesn't get it knocked out. And I'm not going to sit here and sugarcoat and cheerlead and rah-rah and say that Ryan Neal as a, as a free agent safety can't go up and make that play. He can go up and high point that ball and maybe pick it off. At the minimum, break it up. And it's fourth and 10 at midfield. You can't you can't just play the man and he catches the touchdown pass and say, oh, well, that's the breaks. That's the break. Go make the play. High point the ball, knock it down, or just turn and swat. Go play the ball. You have to either play the ball or play the man. I think he was in no man's land. He didn't turn to play the ball and he didn't get there to make the play playing the man. Did take a swat at it, 
but if you're not even going to look for the ball when it's coming down, that's a low percentage thing that you're trying to do as it is. I get that I did not play defensive back in the NFL, but I heard, I've heard enough of them talk. I've heard enough coaches talk. I've watched enough tapes and replays and, and heard former players play. You, you, you talk about leaving plays on the field. That's a play that the Buccaneers left on the field by not batting it down or getting the interception. And the Lions very much made the play. Seven-point swing in their favor because Williamson makes the catch, or uh, Jamison Williams makes the catch for 45 yards in his first touchdown of the year. So now it's 17-6. to six. Now you're in some trouble in this game, and unfortunately for the Buccaneers, not able to get anything going on that uh, next drive. You try to run with Keyshawn Vaughn. I thought it was a little questionable because he only got a couple yards. You ran again with Keyshawn Vaughn to the left for one yard. And then the Lions front seven did a good job of pressuring Baker Mayfield. He tried to throw short left to Vaughn again. I don't know that Keyshawn was going to get the first down anyway on third and seven. He tried to get it to him quickly in the left flat. They had people over there. So you immediately give the ball away three and out on the on the punt. And you're down 17-6 and you're in big trouble now in the fourth quarter, and the Lions go to work again with Goff finding St. Brown over the middle for 23, finding Reynolds for nine. Uh, Then uh, they're able to move into scoring range. He throws a couple of incompletions, and Riley Patterson kicks another field goal. So the Lions again did what they had to do. They took the lead 20-6, to um, and the Bucs just unfortunately didn't make enough plays. Uh, How about this, though? Let's feature this guy. Number one pick. Uh, defensive tackle Kalijah Canty was back for the first time since week one. He's battled a calf injury from training camp, got himself healthy, uh, got in, got himself out there for game one, but then tweaked the calf injury again in Minnesota. So we had not seen him since going all the way back to the first game in Minnesota. So off the bye week, Canty was back, and he's going to make a difference if he stays healthy in the middle of this Buccaneer defense. Here you go. Three receivers to his right. Good snap, belt high, looking right, looking right under pressure. He snagged and dropped at the 44-yard line. Well, that will take it out of field goal range. Khalid Kalijah Kansi will get his first career quarterback sack. One of three sacks on the day as Kansi will team with Vita Vea uh, in the middle of that Buccaneer defense for the rest of this year to help uh, wreak some havoc. But, let, I mean, let's be honest, the pass rush, for, for a lot of this game, uh, you're not able to create it from the ends. Joe Tryon, Shoyenka, uh, Shaq Barrett, anybody else, Yaya Diaby, Cam Gill trying to rush the quarterback. You just weren't able to make things happen off the ends with the pass rush. Uh, and then you have plays that could have been made. I, I mean, on the on the one pass uh, to Reynolds, uh, Joe Tryon, Shoyenka has his hands up. It deflects off one of his fingers, and the ball still goes to the Lion receiver who ends up getting a good gain on a play that should have been batted down, shoulda, coulda, woulda, if not intercepted. Again, the Lions are batting the ball and making the play, making an interception. Buccaneers not able to do that, not able to make the catch when they needed to, the throw when they needed to, get the takeaway when they needed to, and in the end, the Lions burned most of the clock. Buccaneers padded the stats a little bit. Chris Godwin took a couple of big pops. I'm still going to say what I said on the radio on, on the pass across the middle to Godwin. Uh, for the catch where he got smashed. The Lion player leaves his feet, is forcibly going after a defenseless receiver in that instance who can't turn and protect himself. They throw the flag, and again, we have one of these 20-second conferences to pick the flag up. Uh, the, the play should have should have stood, and we saw that there was a very similar play near the end of the 49er-Browns game that went the Browns' way at home 
where the 49er defender, again, hit the Brown player high on a catch who's defenseless. They threw the flag. The flag stood. And the 49ers were ticked. But same thing with this play for the Lions. It's a high hit uh, at Godwin's uh, shoulders and head while he's defenseless, and it should have been 15 more yards to set the Bucks up and try to get something going. And then, and then one more for good measure where you're trying to throw deep. I know it's in the final minute of the game. You're trying to throw deep to Trey Palmer uh, with 110 left, and Palmer's clearly being held at around the 10-yard line trying to get to the end zone and get to the pass, and there's no call. So this officiating crew, Clay Martin's crew, struggled for a lot of yesterday. Again, that was not everything, but it's going to be first and 10 at the 10-yard line with a minute 10 left in the game or a minute 03 left in the game. Um, but in, in any event, the Bucks turn it over on downs. They throw in complete to K. Dot and the Lions kneel on it twice, and they get a well-deserved twenty to six victory. Uh, in this one, they come in and do what they did to the Chiefs and do what they did to the Packers and beat the Buccaneers. All right. So when it was done, let's go inside that Buccaneer locker room on our Hooters post-game show and get some of the comments first from Baker Mayfield. Not one of his better performances. Didn't get over two hundred yards passing until the very end of the game. Uh, knows that there are some plays they would have liked to have had back. Uh, here is that conversation. David, thank you. Uh, Baker, tough day today. Overall, what did this come down to? The offense not executing. Um, they have an extremely good offense as well. Uh, so our defense played played good enough, but we, we gave them the ball, short fields, gave them the ball too many times. And so it comes down to the offense not executing, and it, and it starts with me, so we'll get it fixed. I don't want to dwell too much on it, but third down in particular, you could not sustain drives for much of this game. What were the Lions doing well as well on third down? Um, I mean, they played with a lot of effort. Um, they, they just they made a few good plays here and there to uh, give us a couple certain looks and then rally and tackle the ball. and. Um, yeah, we just didn't execute, and I didn't execute, so disappointing day overall for us. You had a long one to Trey Palmer, an opportunity there in the first half. What do you remember about that play, and it was an opportunity maybe had a long one? Um, yeah, we had a good shot play called. Just uh, wind caught a little bit. I mean, I, I didn't feel like I, when I let it go, I didn't feel like I overthrew him too much. Um, but then seeing the replay, obviously, just so close on a couple of those and obviously and the tipped interception early on in the game as well. I think Mike would have scored if that ball didn't get tipped. So just a few of those things that we're, we're so close on, but it's just, that's the frustrating part. And you got to put this behind you in a hurry with the division opponent in Atlanta coming in, right? Absolutely. You know, uh, much like after the Eagles game, had to play the Saints. And so uh, Russ, you know, fix the things we need to. You can't just uh, move past this one. We need to fix some stuff and, and get ready for Atlanta. Baker, thank you. Thank you. 19 of 37 for 206 yards and the interception. Not one of his better days. Uh, but again, Mike Evans dropped a couple of balls in this game. You had some other plays that you did not make on screen passes where the ball's being batted down and the receiver doesn't catch the play. The offense just never got on track in uh, in this one. Uh, let's go to Levante David, one of the stars of this game. Levante, again, with uh, a 12-tackle day, frustrating for him, but he's a he's a veteran. He was hustling all over the place. Here is 54 after this one was done. This was a tough day today. What did what did this come down to overall? Uh, executing at the end of the day. You know, both teams, you know, both teams going to play hard for four quarters, but we just got executed, out-executed today defensively. We didn't make enough plays. 
You were all over the field. We called your name a bunch. Um, the Lions obviously were trying to establish the run. You guys did a pretty good job early on in the game. What were you doing well to at least slow down their run game? I just know how they wanted to attack us, and everybody was executing on uh, high efforts. You know, every time we come in a football game, we just try to eliminate the run. It's the other stuff we got to take care of. How much do you credit Jared Goff, who ends up throwing for 353 yards? I always credit. You know what I'm saying? You know, he came out, executed, out executed, beat us in our zones. And his guys made plays and we didn't. So we're just going to chop this one up, tip our hat, and uh, get better from it. Just got to regroup and get ready for Atlanta seven days from now, right? That's all you got to do at the end of the day. Thank you. Yep. Not just the 12 tackles, two tackles for loss, a sack, and a pass defended in this game. Levante making a bid for NFC Defensive Player of the Week. I know you don't normally get those awards in defeat, but, man, he was everywhere as a 12-year veteran, as a 34-year-old. Give Levante a lot of credit for hustling and for making those plays. Um, let's continue with the conversations. Here was Rashad White. Buccaneers could not get a lot going on the ground. Rashad had seven carries for 26 yards in the game. You pair him with Keyshawn Vaughn, six carries, nine yards. That's 13 carries, 35 yards. Not good enough. Uh, Rashad also had three catches for 12 yards. Couldn't get him in space. Got to get this guy in space. He's explosive. But here was the Bucks starting running back after this game was over with as part of our Hooters uh, postgame show on Buccaneers Radio. Yeah, the attitude could be better um, for sure, but, you know, that all comes within the game. I mean, I don't know, like the run game. Uh, I don't know the rest of the stats tonight, so I, I, I didn't really pay attention to that. But um, I thought it was plays we did good, and it's, it's plays that was, what, no gains or just like that, So which happens throughout the game. So I don't know. I just feel like the biggest difference is they made plays on that side, and we didn't make the plays when it, when it was time for us. Rashad, we're live here on Buccaneers Radio. What was Detroit doing well? What were you not doing well enough on third down to sustain drives? Uh, I mean, like I said, I don't. Uh, and I'm not trying to take none, no credit away from them. They beat us. Uh, but I don't, I mean, we just had drops. Like I said, we had times where things was right there. Um, right there, the, the catch, the ball was right there for the taking and was drops. And then obviously it was just some, you know, like I said, missed opportunity. So, I mean, I think they did a good job of for sure being who they are with intensity and things like that. But I think it was a match. We just dropped the ball and, and uh, didn't make the play when, when our number was called a lot of us tonight. You've got to get ready for Atlanta, obviously, quickly, and a division opponent coming, correct? Uh, yeah, so, you know, that's a huge game for sure. I mean, this is a huge game, but it's over now, and um, we lost. So we got to, yeah, get ready for the next next opponent for sure. You do have to get some things fixed and get ready for the Atlanta Falcons coming up, and you're going to hear a similar theme from Todd Bowles, the head coach. Again, the Lions uh, win this one, a 20-6. to Here is the head coach with his thoughts Sunday evening after suffering a second loss on the year. Just overall, what did this game come down to? Uh, in particular, what did Detroit do well? What did you not do well enough? They executed better than us in a hard-fought game. We did not execute. Uh, they made key third downs. They were very good on third down. We were not. They, we did not get the run game going to set up the play-action passes. We missed some throws down the field, and we played uh, we, a lot of mistakes in that ball game. How much do you credit Goff for being able to hang in the pocket and make some throws? He's a good quarterback. We said that going in. We knew he was a good quarterback, but I mean, we knew he could throw the ball. I thought we busted a couple. I'll give him credit for a lot of other balls, but the few, the two touchdowns, we busted completely. You had a couple of red zone opportunities. Again, it was not the whole game, but late in the third quarter, you got down inside the 10 yard line or right around the 10 yard line. You end up getting the penalty. You end up getting three, not taking advantage of that red zone opportunity where you could have maybe tied the game up. 
it was one of the factors in this game, right? It was a small factor in the game. We didn't get down there much. Like you said, we got to execute. They did a good job taking away our play-action pass on first down. And when you're not running the ball well, play-action pass really doesn't exist. So we had a tough time executing. I know there's a ton of time left. You got all your timeouts. Did you contemplate on fourth and two with about 10 minutes left in a two-touchdown game going for it? Or were you thinking punt all the way? It was fourth and three. The defense had been playing well. Ten minutes left as a lifetime in the football game. We figured we'd get the ball back two or three times. They did a good job holding the ball once they got it and eating up some clock there. Was there a positive uh, that stood out from this game, something that you thought you did well? Levante David, somebody we just talked to, 12 tackles, a tackle for loss, a sack. We called his name a bunch. Uh, say something about how he played or anybody else that you thought stood out, if you would. Again, I got to I got to watch the tape to see. I didn't look at anybody individually. I looked at us collectively as a group. We played hard. We did not play smart. Uh, we can coach it better. We can play it better. And you have to do that immediately with a division rival, Atlanta, coming in here seven days from now. Correct. Twenty-four hour rule: win, lose, or draw. We line up and we get going tomorrow after we watch the film. Twenty to six, the Detroit Lions, the old NFC Central foes, come in and get the win. I know a lot of their fans were still left in the stadium celebrating, having a good time. I mentioned this was this was Buccaneer football in the eighties to early mid nineties, where the NFC Central teams would constantly come in with tons of fans. Um, and uh, and look, they outplayed the Buccaneers. But look, I mean, let's let's be honest. Uh, let's just speak the truth here on nothing but Bucks. The Lions have been a punchline, a laughing stock around the NFL, even with Barry Sanders, they've won one playoff game, folks, in 50 years. Do you want me to say that again? The Detroit Lions have one playoff win, and it's all the way back in 1991. One playoff win in 50 years of their franchise. They have not ever played in the NFC Championship game since you went to the conference championship games, NFC and AFC, because they only have one playoff win, much less if they've been in a Super Bowl. The Lions have fired coach after coach after coach, had an 0-16 season with our friend Rod Marinelli, have fired coach after coach. Buccaneers have constantly gone into Detroit and won. Uh, whether uh, Jameis Winston has been the quarterback, Tom Brady and the Bucs blew them out in the 2020 year. Remember, that was the year where they had some players with COVID-19. They had injured quarterbacks. The Bucs were up 34-0 at the half in 2020. So the Lions have it going on. They've turned it around. Chris Spielman in the front office. A Tampa guy, Brad Holmes, is the is the GM. And Dan Campbell, nobody's laughing at this guy and his physical football team anymore with the way that they play on both sides of the ball. Aiden Hutchinson on defense. Lions had a banged-up secondary yesterday, but the, the Bucs couldn't take advantage because the Lions played uh, tough with the pass rush and uh, and stop the Bucks over and over again on third down. As, as Todd Bowles was lamenting there, you could not sustain drives because especially on third down, you came up short. Two of 12 on third down is not going to get it done. The, uh, the Lions finished 9 of 16. At one point, we're 6 out of 7 on third down in the second half. Jared Goff, tremendous. You gave him time to throw. He picked you apart. Again, this was a playoff quarterback with the Rams. He had the Rams in the Super Bowl. Sean McVay fixed him, corrected him. 30 of 44, 353 yards, two touchdowns. You gave him time to throw. And uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, 124 yards receiving on 12 catches. Um, again, they spread the ball around. Laporta, four catches. Reynolds, three catches. Raymond, three catches. Jared Goff was really good. And the Bucs did very little overall to bother him for a lot of the day, whether it's the blitz not getting there or the outside pass rush not getting there. 
Not good enough. All right, so this one's in the books with a Lions victory at 20-6. to You now get ready to play the Atlanta Falcons, who were losers at home. Third loss now already for Atlanta. Losers to the Washington Commanders. How about the command? This is a week-to-week league, folks. It just simply is. How do you explain Cleveland beating San Francisco without Deshaun Watson? Home or not? How do you explain that one? As good as the 49ers. How do you explain the Eagles up 14-3 to at the Jets with Zach Wilson at quarterback and the Eagles blow that lead and let the uh, let the Jets stop them a couple of times, kick a couple of field goals, and finally put one drive together and get in the end zone to beat them. And and now the Atlanta Falcons lose to the Commanders, who looked so awful on Thursday night football back you know, 10, 11 days ago. And the Commanders come in and look fantastic in beating Atlanta. So the first of two meetings will be coming up on uh, Sunday at Raymond James Stadium at 1 o'clock uh, here. And uh, we look forward to seeing if the Bucs can take advantage of the NFC South. I said it earlier in the podcast. I'm saying it again here. Take care of this win. You're four and two. You simply want to get to late December. You want to win all the games. Get to late December with a seventh win and eighth win. You're right in the thick of the playoff hunt and the division win if you can get there. And definitely, if you get to a ninth win, you're at worst going to be a wild card. I can tell you right now, you, you look at how badly uh, teams like the Giants are falling off. I know the Rams won yesterday. Uh, but in this South division between the Saints and the Falcons and uh, you've got the Packers and the Vikings and the Bears, who, who's going to get to nine wins for a wild card? How many teams are going to get to nine wins for a wild card? You get to eight or nine wins, you've got a great chance to win the division and at least be a wild card if not win the division. So keep winning games right now, starting with this week. A couple of other uh, notes. The bye week has not been good to the Buccaneers in the last decade. Different coaching staffs, I understand. Todd Bowles. Uh, Bruce Arians, uh, Dirk Cutter, Lovey Smith. Before that, the Buccaneers just two and eight, two and eight in the last ten games off of a bye. You know where the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles under Andy Reid always, 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 almost seemed like to win. You know every week off the bye would, would win like ten years in a row when he was with the Eagles and the Chiefs. Mahomes has something to do with that. Went off the bye. The Bucks have struggled just two and eight uh, on this. And again, that's four straight losses in the creamsicle jerseys. I, I understand what you're doing with marketing and selling. I mean, the the Buccaneers easily sold a hundred thousand. I'm going to say it: a hundred thousand orange shirts and jerseys over the course of this summer, this fall, for gifts for everybody. Easily, there were fifty thousand people clad in orange at the stadium yesterday that had either an orange shirt or an orange Buccaneer jersey on. It, it has been everywhere all over the Tampa Bay area. For those of you that live outside the area uh, here and hear us on Nothing But Bucks, everywhere it's been orange all week. So you've made your merchandise sales, but I can understand the argument. You've now lost four times in a row, first time in 11 years, but four times in a row wearing the orange. And the orange has such a negative connotation that the Glazers wanted to change the colors and the logo anyway. So you've given your tributes to the orange. You've done it enough times. I can understand the argument. Burn those uniforms and don't put them back on. You had 14 losing seasons wearing orange, 1983 to 1996. In the history of the NFL, no other team has ever lost 14 years in a row, and it was in that orange. Now, Doug Williams will tell you, I remember interviewing he and Jimmy Giles, and Doug said, I never had a problem in the Orange. We've talked about that before. They they went all the way to the NFC title game in 79 with the Orange, went to the playoffs, 1980-81. They went to the playoffs wearing the Orange, but it was after that. It was throwing Samoans. It was uh, James Wilder, a lot of bad Buccaneer football. There were some players here and there, Mark Carrier wearing the Orange, but Vinny Testaverde and all the interceptions wearing the Orange. 
Trent Dilfer wearing the orange. Uh, Dilfer was was such a uh, polarizing figure. Let us not forget that when they got rid of the orange, Trent Dilfer helped the Bucks get into the playoffs and win a playoff game against who? Against the Detroit Lions, by the way. Uh, the first Buccaneer playoff win uh, at that time in 18 seasons happened at the expense of the Detroit Lions. Let us not forget on that one back in the 97 season and the 98 playoffs. But I can understand where some would say don't put the orange on anymore. I understand why the team is doing it to try to market and sell merchandise, but maybe uh, maybe the players that are involved are saying, "Hey, let's let's win in the pewter and red. Let's let's win in those red jerseys. Let's let's put some red jerseys on. I don't know that the red will be on this week for the Atlanta game because you want the Falcons in the dark jerseys, and it'll still be hot enough at one o'clock Sunday. But put the red on here in the back half of the season and see what the Buccaneers can do." in some of these matchups uh, down the road. So there you go. Uh, that'll do it for this edition of Nothing But Bucks with the Lions victory on the Creamsicle Sunday. Maybe the Creamsicles will be back next year. We'll wait and see what they do with Bucko Bruce, et cetera. It still was fun to see all that, even if the outcome was not. Uh, my thanks to Jason Berenger for help with the audio, with the highlights and the interviews. Jeff Ryan's our director of broadcasting. Again, make it a point to be with us here after each and every Buccaneer game. We come your way Mondays most of the time. Again, after that Bills game, nothing but Bucks will be here on the Friday after that game. The day after the game, we're here. So Atlanta's the next opponent. That one at 1 Eastern coming up. We're on the air, Buccaneers Radio at noon. The first matchup with the Falcons, first of two. Take advantage of that game. Get to four and two. Remain in first place, and all is right. And I think you will see this team. Too many veterans like Levante David, like Baker Mayfield, like Mike Evans, on and on down the list. Shaq Barrett, pick uh, pick them. Antoine Winfield's a veteran now. Chris Godwin's a veteran now. Tristan Wirfs on that offensive line. Too many veterans to, to not rally around and go beat the Atlanta Falcons. Let's get that done coming this week. For now, we are good, though. Bucks and Falcons Sunday at 1. We are back on the day after the game with the full recap podcast. It is nothing but Bucks.